specifically, starting in verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. You see, Paul talks here of baptism, and he uses that physical event to bring their hearts and minds to bear on the corresponding spiritual event. He wants them to understand that there is a spiritual event event and a physical event in the same instance. The idea is, is that when we're baptized, this earthly physical event causes us to, to, to focus on heavenly things. We change our focus from earthly things to a focus on heavenly things. And Paul uses three metaphors to bring this out. First is circumcision. Now circumcision is also another one of those things for the Jews that was both physical and spiritual. It's something done to the flesh, but as Jesus says, and before Jesus, the prophets, and before the prophets, Samuel and others said that circumcision was a circumcision of the heart, not just the flesh. And so it is not just a physical event. It is something that's done that changes who we are. Now he also talks about death. That's a very physical event, isn't it? Paul uses this term here and in Romans 6 to describe what happens in baptism. Our old self dies and the new self rises. Just like Jesus died, was on the cross, he died, was buried, and was raised. Death is the metaphor. The same thing is happening in our baptism. Our old self is there, it dies, we bury it, and we're raised to a brand new self. They're one and the same. And we are not to see them as separate. Paul also brings to bear the concept of fullness. In some form, Christ now lives in us. The deity of God that was in Christ, he says in verse 9, is also in us, according to verse 10. And so we have all the fullness in us. And his point is that that power is in us to help us change, to be a people that look like Christ. And that's the goal of this whole letter. Paul wants to help the, the Colossian church understand what does it mean to look like Christ? How do I do that? And that's his focus. And he wants them to understand the critical point of baptism. So now we go back to chapter 3. In chapter 3 it kind of addresses the issues of daily living. Now, Paul uses the concept of baptism to describe this new life. It's in baptism, like I said, we die to the old self. The earthly nature is dead now, according to verse 3, verse 5. And it's in baptism that we're raised to a new life with Jesus. And so he begins pointing this out in chapter 3, verse 1, with the first imperative. On your sheet, it says the first imperative. So Paul gives us a command. Since then, you've been raised with Christ... That's the reference to baptism. Set your hearts. So seek is actually the, the uh, literal translation, zetete. It's an imperative which tells us to set mind 
on things above. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Seeking things above. And it has in mind our thoughts. Above is not above spatially, like it's up there and I'm down here. But rather, it's above is the dwelling place of Jesus. It's the place where God is. Things below are flesh, are physical, are here on earth. So things above were eternal compared to things that perish, which are fleshly or earthly. They're going to go away. And so he first says to seek. The second imperative, the second command that Paul gives is in verse 2. Think. Think is the imperative. It tells us what to do. The literal translation, the literal translation is think about things above. Melek says verse 1 is moral and verse 2 is mental. I thought that was an interesting comparison. Seek and then become what you find. If we take Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6. You see, Paul is not necessarily describing different ways to seek God here, though. He's describing one way, and he's repeating it twice. He's using a little bit different word to bring a little bit different emphasis. But it's, he wants to repeat it to make the point. We are to focus on things above with our soul and our thought, with everything that we are, our whole being. So he wasn't separating out two different things. He had in mind everything that we are is to seek God. So how do we do this? Well, look in verse 5. Let's read verses 5 to 11 in Colossians because he wants to answer this question for them. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he lays out here the third imperative, and that is put to death. Put to death. Take these things out. We first put to death the bad things. Necrosate is the word there. It's that fourth, that's that third uncompromising imperative. It is a command. We are supposed to do this. And Paul describes moving from purpose, set your heart, to thought, set your mind, to now action, put to death something. So there's two types of things he's talking about here. There's two negative lists in these verses that each contain five terms. Of those five terms, he expands on the fifth term at the end. So it's kind of interesting to see this and see what he focuses on because each list has its different focus. The first list has its focus on lust or greed. And lust and greed to me are like two sides of the same coin. It's, if we, it's something that we want now. I want it today. It's either a lust of the opposite sex 
or it's a greed for something that they have. It is the same desire underneath, underlining it. So it leads us to do what? Wrong things. Sin. We go the wrong way. We do foolish things sometimes. We put ourselves in uncompromising positions. It's not where we want to go. And so that first list that he lays out, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, is just the same concept. Then the second list, he focuses on tongue or speaking. And his idea here is the fact that we are to rid ourselves. He uses the image again of, of putting off dirty or worn out clothing. But it's the idea that we need to be wary of what we're saying, of what we're speaking, anger, malice. That's the, the core engine of so many bad things that come out of our mouths. But we are to rid ourselves of those things spoken. And he lists these five things. And we must be careful. Remember what James said about the tongue? It is an evil. You have to be careful. So we must be careful of what we say. The tongue does not do bad things without anger and malice and jealousy underlining it, but often that's the result. But then as he comes to the end of that list, in verse 10 he returns to his concept of baptism. And having put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator, we're supposed to put on something better. These refer back to baptism and the putting on of something new. Paul describes how much better because people get along, and he, he, he closes in verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. He's talking about crossing racial barriers, group barriers that are up in every society and in their particular society. And he says when we focus on doing like Christ wants us to, we get beyond these barriers. And so then he comes to the last imperative of this passage in verse 12. And let's read 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Once we put to death those bad things, and that's what has to be done. You have to get rid of some stuff. We can then put our clothes on with Christ. We can welcome in compassion and love and mercy. We're to put on Christ literally changing our clothes. Verses 12 to 14 talks about a focus that is outward from ourselves. Dr. Everett Ferguson of ACU has written a thousand-page tome, a huge book, entitled Baptism in the Early Church. And in, the, and in that book, he looks not only at the baptism of the, of the New Testament and what the Scriptures say about baptism, but he goes on beyond that to, if that's happening in the middle of the first century, he starts looking at what are the different practices of baptism as he goes through the first five centuries of the church. And so we learned a little bit what, about how baptism was done in the early church. And he says in the midst of that, that baptism and partial nudity or full nudity was common because of passages like this. You take off your old clothes, you baptize, and you put on new clothes when you come out. Is that amazing? I'm going, yeah. I'm not suggesting we use full nudity in baptism or partial. Let me emphasize that point. 
Doug Brown's eyes got a little bit bigger there, but he's okay. <laughs> but I do want to spend some time emphasizing this thing about changing clothes. What do I look like right now for you? What do I look like standing up here in front of you in this suit? You're supposed to say a preacher. Thank you. All right. Talking about leading questions. Okay, I look like a preacher, which I'm supposed to. I'm in nice clothes. I'm up here talking to everybody. This is the way I'm supposed to look. All right. Let's go ahead and go with the first slide. What do I look like here? I'm painting. I've got, I brought them as illustration. My paint clothes, okay? Do you see paint on the clothes? Y'all all say yes? Okay. And so when I am painting in my paint clothes, I look different, don't I? I look kind of grungy, like you don't want to take me or pick me up or anything like that, you know, if I'm walking down the side of the road. But I do that for a reason. Whenever I'm painting, I don't want to, to have to worry about the clothes I have on. This summer I worked in work camp, and I didn't want to have to worry about, you know, keeping my clothes clean because they don't stay clean when high schoolers have paint. So um, I wore paint clothes, and I, I do think different. I think different when I'm, and I'm focused on the job. i got to paint. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, what do I got here? Y'all don't recognize that unless you're well-versed. But this is my Madison Mavericks shirt, okay? I've got a son that goes to Madison High School, and when I put this shirt on with that hat, I am a Madison Maverick band parent. Should I turn around? There you go, so you can see the big M. Okay? And that means something. I do certain things when that happens. I ride school buses with high schoolers and act like it's fun. I... I go to games, and I sometimes scream at the games. I give water to kids, and, you know, I do all sorts of different things. But my, my whole being is focused. I've got a different focus at that moment, and that is on the band or the football game, whichever one is more important at the moment. All right, let's go to the next one. This one's a different one. You can't see it very good, but all the bands put out what they call a show shirt. And that's a shirt they put out once a year that has their show on it. This is my son, who's at Roosevelt High School. Yes, I have two sons who are at different, two different high schools. And the Roosevelt, is, they're doing Zorro this year, so that's why the Z. When I wear this and I have that hat on, I'm at Roosevelt, and I'm being a band parent again. But I do it for a different group. And so I'm doing different things. And I act differently when I have these clothes on than when I'm up here in front of you with my, you know, my nice threads. Okay, now put up the last one. This is my Spurs. And this is how I look when I have my Spurs outfit. You can ask Lori, you know, I look kind of weird because I'm yelling at the TV or I'm yelling at a game or something, you know. I'm excited. And I have a lot more people excited with me when I have my Spurs outfit on than when I wear my Mavericks outfit, okay. But I'm focused a different way. I have different clothes on and I act differently when I have different clothes on. Obviously, the point is that I literally do things different when I wear different clothes, I've known some college professors require their students on the day they take their test to wear their Sunday best because the college, this college professor found that his students made better grades. Were they any different? Did they think any different? Because before they put on their clothes and after they put on their clothes? He said, yes, they thought better. They were more focused because they had on nice clothes rather than just you know shorts and a T-shirt or jeans or whatever. And that's what he discovered. And I think there's truth to that. Though we want to say clothing doesn't make the man, our experience is not necessarily true. 
We are one whole. I am one whole person. And when you look at me, what you think of is, that is one skinny dude. Does his wife ever feed him? Okay, she does. That's okay. Um, but you see me and think of me, and, and you see things I do. And for some of you, I've known you 13 years, and we've done several different things together. You think particular ways when you see me, but I have a particular look because of my body. We are one being. Our clothing impacts what we do. We also, because of the way we think, choose particular kinds of clothing. And that makes a difference as well. And so the point here is that G Paul wants to say to them, clothe yourself with Christ. Put Christ on. And when you put Christ on, you will act differently. You will act differently. Now, you and I don't want to say that. We want to say, well, the clothing doesn't matter. You know, I can wear anything I want. I can wear grungy clothes, and I will act the same as when I wear really nice clothes. Well, I mean, yes, you are still the same person on the inside, but it is amazing, if you'll pay attention, how when you wear different clothes, you act differently. I probably shouldn't say this, because the staff has discussed this from different times, but we all have staff shirts. You know, it says MacArthur Park Church of Christ Ministry Staff. When I wear that shirt on those days, it's probably good for me. I act differently. Why? Because when, I, when anyone I interact with, it, these are the days that I don't yell at the clerk at Dillard's, okay? I don't, you know, because they see what it says. Well, the reality is we do that every single day when we clothe ourselves with Christ. And so let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's, what is the word there? Chosen people, holy, we are set apart. We are chosen. We are God's called people. And so we have been set apart by God to be His people. We are to put on. This is another imperative. Paul follows the command with five positive items we're to put on as Christians. Compassion. It literally means inward parts. It can mean the whole inner person. It was not just a virtue, but was a part of one's character. Are you compassionate? Do you feel like you're compassionate? If you don't feel like you're compassionate, maybe you need to put Christ on some more. You know, another layer. I don't know. Um... Second one, kindness. This often describes God. Romans 2, 4, uh, Ephesians 2, 7, Titus 3, 4. God gave, it the, God gave kindness to the totally undeserving who were thus called to extend it to others, even to the undeserving. It was caring. It was the extending of blessings. How kind are we? How kind do we act during the week? When we put Christ on, are we kind? Humility, the third one. Humility has been found also in chapter 2, 18 and 23, where the NIV translators added the word false humility to indicate it was an undesirable trait. It was something we don't have. It's a trait of, of heresy. But the virtue without the word false is something that we have here. It's the one quality that sets Christians apart kind of interesting in the greek world of of um, paul's day humility was not a virtue it was shunned people thought you were you were weak but over the centuries because 
Christianity has lifted up the concept of humility as a desirable trait, we now think of it as a good thing. And in fact, when you read books on leadership, they're going to talk about the need to be a humble leader. Why? Because they found it to be the right quality. It's the quality of Jesus. So, how are we doing? How well are we humble people? How well do we put others first? The fourth thing is gentleness. It involves considering others and even being willing to give up my own rights so others can have them. Some translators rendered the word meekness, which implies self-control and avoidance of excessive self-concern. Are we really willing to put to death things like hatred of people we don't like? Are we really willing you know, to, to set aside that, that frustration with that person that irritates us? Are we really willing to set aside the lust of the opposite sex seeing human beings as objects? You see, that's what gentleness does for us. You have to be willing to set those things aside and to pick up the clothing that, Jesus, that is Jesus Christ. The last thing is patience. It endures wrong. It puts up with the frustration produced by others without becoming unduly or unwisely irritated. We often joke, though, we say, I want patience, God, right now. I know. He didn't, it didn't come that way, and, and we don't need it like that. In reality, patience is built slowly, and God helps us build patience, and that's the beauty of it. So are we willing to let go of the past? Are we willing to put on Christ when somebody's irritating us? Are we willing, are we willing to take on patience? This, I think, is a cognitive, emotional decision, as verses 1 and 2 talk about. It's something we have to process, we have to think about, so that we become that way. When I come to the end, and my last slide says, so what? God is calling you to a different kind of life than your neighbor. Too often in our minds, we compare our actions to the wrong one, and that is our neighbor's actions, rather than to what Jesus would do. We need to strive to live up to God's standards, to, to clothe ourselves with Christ. But, but you might say, well, I've tried and tried, Doug, but I just can't. I've failed too many times. That shouldn't stop us from trying. I had the chance just recently to spend some time with my father. And uh, we were up at ACU for the ACU Summit. It was good. And we had a good time visiting while we were there. This past Sunday, though, a week ago today, he was given a reward for service as an elder at the Impact Houston Church of Christ. This is an inner city work that focuses on helping the homeless and the very poor know Christ. Now, you have to understand, though, that my father did not want to be a part of that church. He grew up in Beaumont in the 40s and 50s. And everything you've ever heard about Beaumont being prejudiced is true. It's very true. Um, his family did not really begin attending church until he was 18. He was baptized shortly after that. And so I grew up in a Christian family, but we didn't associate with a lot of black folks. We didn't really do that a lot. It wasn't anything that, a, sele a selection, it was just something that didn't happen much. Now my mother would, it was kind of always fascinating. She would make friends. She was different from my dad. And in fact, she was one of the reasons that he could not ignore the Impact Houston Church. You see, my father knew he had a heart problem. 
And what happened was the church they were a part of in the 80s closed their doors. My sister had become a part of the Impact Houston Church. She lived with them at the time. And my mom was interested in helping out down there. They were doing Bible class teaching. My mom's a Bible class teacher, so she liked doing that kind of thing. But my dad, like I said, had a, he had a discomfort that he admitted to me. He wasn't sure, but he knew he was prejudiced. He also knew passages like this one that talked about clothing ourselves with Christ, about living a different kind of life. And he knew he needed to do something about it. My dad was in his 50s at this time. So he did. He eventually began attending that church. And it's a very mixed church. We're a mixed church here, but they're more mixed than we are, uh, if you can be. And within six years of his starting attending that church, they had seen enough change in him, enough acceptance of him by people of all races, that they made him one of their elders. And he made a tremendous turnaround, even at his age. I think that is an amazing story. Because that kind of change in us, especially when we're of that age, is not an easy task. It is a hard task. But folks, God calls us to that. To being a people that are compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. And we don't need to shortchange those things or say, well, that's just really kind of hard for me. I'm just real straight with people. Well, there's a, there's a compassionate way to be that way. My point, obviously, is we can change. We can learn to be different to the people God loves all around us, all the people. So I want you to wear your cl church clothes this week, all week long. I want you to put on Christ every day, just like our theme talks about. It's a decision we make every morning. I'm going to put on Christ today, and I'm going to see what comes. And Christ will be active in our lives. Let's say a prayer. Father, you have blessed us in so many ways. And Father, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his great love for us. I thank you, Father, for these words that he wrote down so many years ago at a church in a different place, in a different time, and yet words, Father, that are for each one of us here today, 2,000 years later. Totally amazing. And yet, Father, you speak to us through these words. And, Father, I pray uh, that, that you will help each one of us to get up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and to put on Christ. And to do that on Tuesday and on Wednesday and every day this week. Father, help us to be your light in this world. We're going to be in darkness this week. There's going to be a lot of bad things happen this week. Because we know Satan is alive and well. But, Father, you work through us. And, Father, I pray that you will be powerful within each person in this room. Thank you so much for Jesus, for all that you've given us, Lord. It's through him that we pray. Amen. This evening, as we come to the end, I want to ask if you have anything, any prayer requests you'd like to share, uh, we'd love for you to do that right now. If you want to put on Christ in baptism tonight, you can do that. We're ready. It's very easy. Repent of your sins. Confess him before this church and then be baptized, living forever with Christ. If you have any need at all, please stand, come forward as we stand and sing.